Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Welcome to podcast number 175 in our continued lesson in It's Jesus, Just Jesus from Warren Litzman. Oh, how many times have I heard him say that over the years? And boy, he had a way to really bring things down to a real understanding in the Word of God. And it is just a blessing to have this great series that we're continuing today. Let's get right into it. Here's Warren. All right, if you will, take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians, the third chapter. Now, it's important that you remember some of the things that I have attempted to establish for you up until this point. All of a sudden, there is one man whom God has chosen out of a multitude of people to be his messenger for this message, the Apostle Paul. He's a smart man. Peter is an untrained man, a fisherman. Paul is the very opposite. He has more education than anybody in the Scripture that we have record of. So God chose him for different reasons. Perhaps that was one of them. But when it was revealed to him that Christ lived in him, he had to handle that in his mind. That's an awesome thing. He has the equivalent of of today's degrees, of two doctorate degrees. That's how smart he was, how much training he had. His family was rich and could afford the very best of education for him. Their purpose was that he would become a noted rabbi, and his desire was to sit on the Sanhedrin. That's what he aimed at and why he took the challenge to destroy followers of Jesus, that he'd get the attention of the Sanhedrin, that maybe as a young man he could get placed on that Awesome committee. But God chose him because he believed that he could handle, that he was smart enough to see through this to handle it. I put it like that because we've got a lot of smart people today, and they haven't caught it yet. They don't understand it. In fact, the very smartest of people <coughs> who live in our world today haven't caught it. The very greatest of our preachers haven't caught it yet. Sir, it, it is plainly written, but it is written in such a way that if you don't have a mind to accept it, if you use the mind that is an antithesis to it, or a mind that is a mind that is opposite to it, or a mind that is untrained in going into the depth of a thing, you'll miss it. That's what's happened in religion. They missed it. They like the outer things. A lot of people in the world today are turning to Pentecostalism. You know why? You can see, hear, and feel it. See? That's why they like it. But Paul would say that the true gospel and the manifestation of Christ cannot be seen, heard, and felt. So that kind of places you in a point to where What's in your mind makes a lot of difference. The way your mind is. The way you think. 
So here God has done this awesome thing. He has taken one man out of the history of mankind and decided to tell him something that he's never told anybody else ever. Now, how's he going to handle that? See, you've read Paul lots of times. I, uh, I, I read books where people say they don't understand Paul. They all are what we call patrine people, Peter's followers. They just don't understand Paul because those are the outer things. But Paul went into the depth of God's mind and heard something that humanity has yet to get a hold of that's written in this book. He heard something from God that goes to the depths of God's mind. And don't take that statement as meaning that Paul knew everything about God. I don't believe Paul did or will anybody else ever know everything that's in God's mind. But when God said, My Son lives in you, Paul, Paul was able to see that that was one of the deepest things that he could ever get out of the mind of God. Because that didn't fit anything in existence. That didn't fit anything that's ever been said. One thing for a woman to have a baby, that's common. And the child to live in her until delivery. But it's a whole other matter for somebody to say that God's only begotten Son, who lived on this earth, was translated back to heaven, now has returned and lives by Spirit in the human being. For he that is joined to Christ is one Spirit. Well, how do you think Paul's going to handle that? You've read these Scriptures many times. Did it ever come to you that here the same thing has happened to me? How do I handle that? Well, you took it religiously, just as I did. Well, it's just kind of a figurative statement, you know. It's not really real. Not really truth. Couldn't really happen. And so we missed it. For years and years as Christians, we missed what a Christian was. And you know what Christians do who don't know who they are in Christ? They are actors, as it were, on a stage, not real people. So we've got a world full of actors. We've got Baptist actors who do the play a certain way. We've got Catholic actors over here. We've got Pentecostal actors. We've got a lot of actors running around who haven't the slightest idea of what it means for Jesus to live in them. Well, somebody says, well, it's just a spiritual thing. Okay, let's go a step further. Before you accepted Jesus, you had another person who occupied that place. You had somebody else whose life you lived. His name was Adam in the form of Lucifer. We call it a sin nature. Ah, you never worried about that, did you? Never entered your mind that somebody else lived in you. You just thought, well, I do what I do because that's the way I am. That's the way I was made. 
No, that's the way you are because somebody else lives in you. You'll run across this awesome statement often by some of our writers. And it's a statement that says, There never has been a you, you. See, there hasn't been. There's never been a you, you. If there's anyone who's in our group today in this fine auditorium who has never accepted Jesus and you think you've made your mind up about what you want to do, what you'd like to do, where you'd like to go, how you'd like to live, what kind of person you'd like to be, you're deceived. There is no you. There is another that occupies your spiritual place. And that's old Adam who deceived you and brought sin into your life. So there never has been a you. God never planned for there to be a you. He planned that Adam would obey him and then God could set in motion his eternal plan. Adam disobeyed him. And since Adam's day... Humanity that comes into this world is never the person they appear to be. They're only the manifestation of another life. That's kind of hard on you, because you've educated yourself and been psychoanalyzed and you've had everything in the world to happen to you, and so you think you know who you are. We not only didn't know who we were in sin with a sin nature, we now don't know who we are with a God nature in us. Nothing has changed. Why did God do it then? Why did He, the moment you were saved, make a radical change in your nature? Satan out and Christ in. Why did God do that? He did it first because He loved you and He wanted you. And that's the way He got you. He went ahead and did what He needed to do to get you. But that didn't help you out any because you still live by the old mind. And that's where the problem is. You've got a whole new nature in you. Another life altogether that God planned for you before the world was created. Chosen in Christ. But it's never meant anything because you're still using the same mind that you had with the old sin nature in you. So what do you do when you don't know who you are and what to do with the nature that's in you? What do you do? You try to get hooked up with somebody that has an idea about what to do. So when you get saved, the first thing they say to do, get in a good Bible church. You ever hear a preacher say that? <laughs> kind of foolish. Mormons use the Bible. Jehovah's Witnesses use the Bible. I don't know what a Bible church is. I know that there is a body of Christ that lives by this Word. That's where you ought to be. Because when God made the automatic exchange, and remember, there are two things God did that He never asked you about. One of them was He made the exchange 
from Adam to Christ. He made the change from the sin nature to the God, God nature. He did it without asking you because He knew that had to be done or you could never live in His house or ever return to Him the love that He wanted. And the other thing He did, He rebirthed you. You were rebirthed. You became, by that exchange of natures, a whole new and different person. He never intended that you get up from an altar and say, well, I'm going to do my best to live for God now. I'm going to quit going to the honky-tonk and I'm going to try to come to church when I can. Is that what He did? See, we get saved and don't have the slightest idea of what it means. We're living in a religious world, a church world, where the truth about who we are is never expressed. Seldom ever. Of course, if I had a room full of preachers sitting here, they'd all say, no, that's not right. I always preach that. I always say those same things. I'm always on the same vein. They don't explain it unless it's based on in Christ's position. Without that, you never know what God's message is. Well, the Apostle Paul has received this information. Now, what's he going to do with it? How's he going to handle it? And this is really the question I'm asking you. The record gives us exactly what needs to be done at this juncture. I think one of the most helpful chapters in all of Paul's writings is the third chapter of Philippians. Because the third chapter of Philippians tells us what happens to a mind when it finally gets hold of the idea, I no longer live, Christ lives in me. You see, that's an awesome thing. That's a, that's a thing hard to... Express, I'm dead, yet I'm alive. I'm dead to be alive. That doesn't fit our mind, you know. Life comes out alive. It doesn't come out of death. So we don't have the right wisdom working. The problem with Christianity is a mind problem. God has told us exactly what we need to know, but we have translated it oppositely. And we get further and further from the truth because every new Bible that comes out retranslates something somebody doesn't understand. we got a new one coming out in a few days. I'm not anxious because I know what they're doing. They're trying to get it down to where there is nothing said in the Bible that has to do with God's original plan. It only has to do with people living in the 21st century. That's exactly what all new Bibles are about. And I'm not a Bible salesman. In fact, we have one in there if you want to buy it. It's King James. The reason we stick with King James is it's been the least messed with Bible. The original King James. Not even the new King James is the same. The third chapter of Philippians is about changing your mind. Someday we're going to go through that whole chapter, but I want to just pick out the verses that are pertinent to us right now. First, go to verse 8 in chapter 3 of Philippians. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss 
for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Now, what is he talking about here? If you'll read the first few verses here, you'll hear him say that everything that makes me who I am, a Jew, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, highly educated, comes behind in no spiritual gift. I am a perfect keeper of the law. What a braggadocious man. That's who he thought he was. He says, everything that made me who I am, I have counted loss. Well, I can't read that and not ask you the question, what have we lost with Christ in us? What would you lose? What would you give up in your thinking? You know, a whole lot of people thought, well, when I get to be a Christian, I'll have to give up this, where I go and what I drink and who I'm with and, and my money, I'll have to give it all up. They missed the point. That's junk. A fellow came to me not long ago and he said, should I give up my houses and lands to follow God? I said, who are you going to give it to? Oh, I'm going to give it back to the Lord. Oh, I said, that's a waste of time. He doesn't want your junk. What you need to do is give him a mind. Let this mind be in you. Change your mind about something. And so he says here in this eighth verse, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. What do you have in your mind that will take you to heaven without the knowledge of Christ? How much money do you think it would take to get you to heaven without the knowledge of Christ? Your heritage, your lineage, your ethnicity. How much of that would you need to get you out of this world alive. Are you smart enough to beat the odds? What do you have in your education? Your knowledge that would make you a better person. I want you to think about it. What is it you protectively hold on to? You surround yourself with it. Nobody's going to take this away. This is what I am. This is who I am. If you ever have those thoughts, what makes you think they're worth anything? Who you are. You think that's worth anything? Think that'll do you any good? Paul says, going on in this eighth verse, I have suffered the loss of all these things, and what I do with them, I make them but dung. Nicest thing I can say about dung is it's fertilizer. Are you listening to me? 
What is a man going to do that suddenly is given this knowledge that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has been joined to me? In my spirit, we are one to God. And I now have perfect righteousness, sanctification, redemption, and wisdom. Would not a man be a fool to say there's anything he knows and understands and is anything he is that is equivalent to that? Anything. You got anything equivalent to that? Has anything ever happened to you that is bigger than Christ being revealed as your life? What have you suffered the loss of? Somebody said to me, well, I've tried to get rid of this thing for years and I just have trouble getting it out of my mind. They held it as a good thing. Paul would have made it dumb. Dumb. I suffered the loss of all things for the excellency of this knowledge. Excellency. What does that mean? There's no knowledge compared to it. There's nothing compared to it. There's no education you get compared with this knowledge. If you were the best at what you do, the best in the world, it wouldn't compare to this knowledge. Nothing compares to it. That God Almighty could rebirth in you His dear Son and cause you to be a Christian. Nothing. The last line says that He may win Christ. That doesn't mean get Christ. He already has Christ in Him or He wouldn't have gone through this. But He touches the important thing for you and I. We have Christ in us ever since we were born again. You have the same relationship with God as a Christian that Paul had when he was in the Arabian desert and Christ was revealed in him. What we don't have is the revelation that Christ is in us. I'm sitting here telling you all about it. That won't mean a thing to you. I'm merely to open your eyes to your need. But I can't tell you about the Christ that's in you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why when God said in the council that I'm going to place my dear son in them to get the kind of child I want, the Holy Spirit said, I'll have to explain that to him. Okay, Father says, okay. That'll be your mission. So when Jesus came down here, He said one day to His disciples that when the Holy Spirit has come, He will never speak of Himself. He'll speak only of Me. He'll take the things of Mine and reveal them unto you. He said it right. It's right in the book. If you tie it together properly... You'll get it. Well, 
What's Paul going to do then? He's a smart man. What difference does it make if he's of the tribe of Benjamin? I'll wash that out of my mind. What difference does it make if you're a Hebrew of the Hebrews? I'll wash that out of my mind. What difference does it make if you come from a good family? If you kept the law? If you're highly trained? I'll wash all that out of my mind. Because this business of Christ living in you is the excellency. The highest point. The jewel. The apex of all knowledge. Nothing to compare with it. We live in a world of fools and ignoramuses and stupid people whose stupidity has caused our world to become raunchy, overwhelmed, full of wars, just like Jesus said they'd be. But that was under the law, not grace. Now here, everywhere we go, I say it too, the world's getting worse and worse. You know why it's worse and worse? There's no Christ alive. The fellows that preach to the greatest audiences in America do not preach Christ. They preach about Him. But they could get the same good things from Aristotle or Abraham Lincoln or anybody. It's not preaching about Christ. It's preaching Christ. The world doesn't know this Jesus. They all know He hung on a cross. They don't like Mel Gibson's film, The Passion, because it talked too much about something they don't like. But that's what it's all about. It's all about that cross. And it's all about what He paid for at that cross. It's all about that blood that He shed. That's what life is about. That's what death is about. That's what the world is about. Some of you didn't know I could raise my voice, did you? (laughs) Paul got a hold of that. He said, how stupid I'd be to get up from this altar in Arabia with this knowledge that Christ lives in me and walk out into this world and try to tell them that they need to be circumcised to be saved. They need to go to church every week to be a good Christian. They need to pay the tithes and offerings to buy them a plot in glory land. Why, he said, that's stupid! This will revolutionize the world. This is what God is all about. Christ living in human beings was to change this world. We missed the point. We had it right in the book. We, like Israel, had bales over our eyes. And we could not see and understand. But a marvelous thing is happening today. People are beginning to listen to what is the final gospel given by Jesus. Don't you see it? We're seated in heavenly places. We're never going to change this world. That's not our mission. Our mission is to get to the Father's house to be what He paid a supreme 
price to have in His own birth children. That's what's happening to us. It's already happened to you. You're already saved. You've been born again. Christ is your life. Romans 5 and 10 would say we are saved by His life. Where is it? It's in you. He has been birthed in you. We're not even making a mark in this world on Christianity. We've got so much false Christianity, the world is confused now as to what a Christian is. They have no idea what a Christian is. The world doesn't know that Christ lives in every born-again believer. They think the birthing is some sort of thing that's a fantasy. It's a, it's a story-like thing. It's not a real thing, they say. And the new Bibles bear it out. But dear friend, if we stick with this Word... We're going to have to face the issue, what do you do when you come to the knowledge that Christ is in you? So first I wanted to show you what Paul did. Skip down to the tenth verse in this third chapter of Philippians. Look at the first line. That I may know Him. Isn't that something? In verse 8, he said, I suffered the loss of all things for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. And now, two verses further, he says that I may know Him. What is he saying? I've got my mind cleared up now. I got rid of all the things I think that make me who I am or who I thought I was. I'm clear now. What I want now is to know Him. I don't want to know anything but Christ. He would say over in 1 Corinthians 2 that I'm determined to know nothing save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Everybody thinks, well, that's a good consecration statement. We ought to all be like that. Know nothing but Christ. That isn't why he said that. He said that because he had an emptying of his mind. He didn't add that on. He didn't add on the fact that I'm determined to know nothing but Christ. That's not an add-on thing. What's reality is the first line of this tenth verse, that I may know Him. i got a clear mind now. I don't know Him. I know all about Jesus of Nazareth. I've heard the record from hundreds, probably hundreds of uh, Christians or people who follow Jesus. But He said, I don't know Him. I don't know Him. You've got to see this. I want to know Him in the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering, and being made conformable unto His death. That's how I want to know Him. He laid out three 
different rules by which he would know Christ. You ever done that? Have you ever read this passage of Scripture and marked it and said, well, that's, if Paul did that, Paul tells us to follow him. Why don't I do that? Why don't I enter into that kind of relationship? The veil has got to be lifted. You've got to get it off your eyes. You've got to throw away your denominational glasses. When I was a Baptist, I had Baptist glasses. And I'll tell you something, everything I read in the Bible said Baptist. We figured from John the Baptist on, everything that had to do with religion was Baptist. Because I had Baptist glasses. The day I jerked them off, you know what? All of a sudden, I didn't know anything. I was left very lonely and destitute. And that's what makes me understand Paul. He's thrown off his rabbinical, Judaistic glasses. And he stands all alone with nothing but Christ in him. I remember the day I did that because I knew that day I'd have to leave my denomination. Because when I threw off those glasses, I didn't know this book. I only knew what my glasses focused for me. But when I threw them off, I had to stand in a very lonely place and say, Okay, Lord, it's up to You. I don't know this new life. I don't know how to live it. Sweetly, the Holy Spirit said, It's all been written for you in a package. If you'll just follow me, we'll unwrap it. How simple it was. But oh, what a long walk I had to take and still am taking. There'll be no end to it. So the first question you need to ask with all your wisdom and knowledge is do I really know Him? Usually when I make the statement to people that they don't know Christ, they get upset because they think I'm really far out of line. I'm not talking about the Christ that was. He was precious. Jesus of Nazareth is precious and is my Savior. But when I talk about knowing Christ, I'm not talking about knowing what Peter, James, and John or Matthew, Mark, and Luke had to say about Jesus or what hundreds of times in the Old Testament prophecies had to say about Jesus. I'm not talking about Jesus at all in that vein. So what are you talking about then? The Jesus I must know. And the only Jesus I can really know is the Jesus that lives in me. There is none other. There isn't another. There's not one that stands beside me here. 
There's not one walking these aisles. There's not one living in this city. There's not one hanging on the steeple of a church. There's not one down at the altar. There's not one hanging on the cross. The only Jesus you need to know is the one that lives in you. Because that's the only living Christ there is for you. You say, well, isn't there a Christ in heaven? Yep. But nowhere in the Word does He function from heaven to earth. He now functions by the new birth. For God births in every believer this same Jesus. As Paul would say, Christ in us, our only hope of glory. That's Christianity. Excuse me. That's Christianity. You're not going to read a book about it. That's why when somebody comes and says, they're going to tell us the story of the true Jesus, unless it's the story of the Christ that lives in them, it's baloney. If you're going to talk to people about the real Jesus, you're going to have to talk about the Christ that lives in you. <laughs> fellow said to me not long, boy, I'm not ready for that. I didn't answer him. I didn't need to because he caught it immediately. He has no living affair relationship, love affair going on with the Christ in him. He has neglected him. He has tried to leave him by doing his own thing, going to his own places. He's tried to rearrange him. And he meets defeat on every hand. It doesn't matter what religion says or preachers say or books say or ministries say. The only living Jesus for you is in you. There is none other. Not even the Jesus that's in me can help you except as I give myself to Him and we share with you. So it isn't my Christ you need to know. It's yours. Needless to say, that's a long story. I'll get to some of it maybe before we leave this weekend. But that story of you knowing who you are in Christ is the only reason He's left you on this earth. Because He has no other big purpose for your life than for you to be a son likened unto the only begotten Son so that when you get to the house, we won't all be strangers. Now, let's get on here.
Go with me to Ephesians 1. We're going to spend some time in Ephesians 1 because it's probably the most pertinent portion of Scripture for our understanding today on the basis of what I've told you. What I'm going to do is separate out of this chapter a verse or two. We're going to go back and talk about them later after our break here. But in verses... Which, what, what verse am I looking for? In verse 10, it says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times... Now, that's one of the most misunderstood statements in the Bible. The fullness of times simply means that as Paul writes this, all the times in the Bible have come to a climax. Everything stated in the Bible has come to the climax of what is going on in this final dispensation of time on this earth. That there is nothing in the other dispensations that matter or count. In the fullness of the dispensation of times, he might gather together in one. Now, that's another misunderstood statement. That's where our unconditional a reconciliation people get the fact that everybody's going to be saved in the end. And if you ever get messed up with anybody like that, rebuke them right off because they do not understand the cross. See, they make the cross null and void. These are people who say everybody's going to be saved in the end, even the devil. They are dead serious. They convince a lot of people. And they do it on this verse, that He'll gather all things together in Christ, both which are heaven which are on earth, which are even in Him. But notice something. Two times in that statement, it gives us the in Christ statement, the in Christ position. Two times. So let me tell you something. When Jesus comes to receive His children that He has birthed, and they are the only ones He'll receive, They'll go in the rapture, and the only ones that'll go in the rapture are those that are born again. They are the only ones. They are the ones in Christ. And once the born again go to the Father's house via the rapture, you know what? There'll never be another in Christ message, statement, or possibility on this earth. Israel will never be in Christ. Christ will never be in Israel. Even when they accept the Messiah, they are accepting a king outer, outside of them. Because they're an earthly people, not a heavenly people. So when you read the Scriptures, be very clear. And I bring this up because I've run into this quite often here lately where everybody says, oh, don't get all worked up. It's going to all come together one of these days in Christ. No, sir. In Christ stops at the rapture. 
Grace stops at the rapture. There'll be no more after the rapture. I don't know why Christians want to go through the tribulation period other than they're ignorant of the Scriptures. If we follow Paul and nobody else, he plainly says there'll be a rapture. Well, that's not our important thing here, but this, this verse is two verses I wanted to separate and talk about for just a moment. Notice the in Christ statement. 146 times Paul gives this statement to every valid truth he offers. It's all in Christ. There is nothing but Christ. Christ is the finality. Christ is the all in all. Christ is the fullness of the Godhead. Christ is everything to God. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The whole thing is about Jesus. And being in Christ is the foundation stone for the whole message, the entire gospel. So when Jesus takes His church away, there'll be nothing left on this earth but the world, people, and Israel. They're earthly people. They'll remain on this earth. The only ones that'll make it to the Father's house are those that are in Christ. I say this because there is not a false doctrine I know of that is based on the in Christ truth. There are hundreds of them spawned out of Christianity where somebody has this wild thought or that wild thought, but I want to tell you that not a one of them are based on in Christ because in prophecy you'll never find the in Christ statement. Prophecy belongs to Israel, never to the church. There is no prophecy for the church. There is no prophecy in Paul's message except the rapture. Something yet to take place. But that's not what I wanted to talk about. Reading only in that verse, it says, might gather all things together both in heaven and earth, even in Him, in whom we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of Him that worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. We're going to talk about in our next session, the line in this ninth verse that says, All things in Christ. Mark that. All things in Christ. I determined to know nothing in these sessions save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Because... My agreement with Paul in this verse is that all things have to do with Christ. There is nothing in existence that does not have to do with Christ. Before the world was planned, before a man was created, the devil was turned loose, before anything ever happened, Christ was the center. Nothing, nothing has happened in this universe 
that has removed Christ in any iota from being who He is as the center, the hope, the life of this whole universe. Because to God, everything has to do with Jesus. Everything. And when God looks at you and deals with you, everything about you has to do with Jesus. Do you think He would put Christ in you and then deal with you in a little side program? Do you think God would ignore the Christ in you when you pray, when you have need? What do you think? Do you think that you had ignored Jesus all your days, even though He lived in you as a Christian? You ignored Him? You were in some other truth or doctrine or idea and you didn't know Christ lived in you? What do you think God would do with your needs, your life? He'd say, you need to know Jesus. You need to know my Son. He might say, you wouldn't be in this mess if you knew who lived in you. You wouldn't hurt if you knew who your life was. But instead, you've mastered in your life. you spent your time about me, my, me. And God would say, my plan is not about you. It's all about Him. I loved you so much, I gave Him to you. But once He became your life, there was no more you to me. You're only you through Him. That takes a mind change. Oh, that takes a radical mind change. Because I think I'm something. When I hurt, it's me that hurts. And bless God, I want you to know I hurt. You see, I still have that mindset that there's a me. Paul would say that even his hurt was of Christ. He would say even his infirmities were of Christ. He would say even that the hard places left dead three times, beaten with stripes three times, he'd even say this has to do with Christ. That's what a Christian is. Well, I'm sure the longer I talk to you, the more you can see why people are writing new Bibles that cut all this out. Because they'd like to put together a group of people that didn't have to be concerned with who they were in Christ. But they can't do it. Because deep inside of me daily, there's a call. There's a gnawing. There's something deep inside of me that flows out of my spirit into my soul that tells me I'm not all here. I'm not all right. I'm not what I ought to be. I still get the call from Christ in me. to be who He is, that I can be who He is, that I can be like Him. 
You must not be mistaken when I talk like this. He didn't send His deity to us. He gave us His Spirit. There's a difference, you see. A lot of people have the idea that when we say we're in Christ and Christ is in us, that we have His deity. Never. You'll never have His deity. You'll always have the abilities of a human with Christ in you. That's the miracle of humanity. Christ in you. But you'll never have His deity. His deity is His awesome power to create. His awesome power to be a God. His awesome self to be perfect. But as I told you earlier, when Christ is in you, that makes you perfect. You'll never have His deity but you will have the expression of Himself, as Paul says in one place, as your life. So let me tell you as we end this session, Christ in you makes you perfect before God. I gave you those Scriptures. Read them until you get convinced. Christ in you makes you perfect before God. You need to change your mind about yourself. You stay defeated, disappointed, discouraged, and depressed because of the things you do. And you think, oh my God, I'll never get out of this mess. Let me tell you something. When God looks at you, He doesn't look at your mess first. He looks at your identity. Who you are. Who are you? You're a Christ person. Christ lives in you. That's what he sees right off. Well, he smiles. And then he can turn the page and look over in your soulish part where you're having all kinds of problems, more trials than you can handle. He turns and looks over there and says, Well, here on this page they got trouble. Over here they have victory. Let's see how we can get the two together. You can either live the soulish life. That's where religion is. Religion today has the idea if we get people better, thinking better, acting better, and so forth, they'll be better. That's not the gospel. Your old self is going to be improving to your dying day. In the meantime, God looks at you as perfect. Christ is your life. Could it be otherwise? Could it be otherwise? Could Christ be in you and you be any less than perfect? People who didn't understand the in Christ position cut the word perfect out of all those Scriptures I gave you. The new Bibles do not have that word perfect in any one of those, I don't know, eight or whatever it was, Scriptures. They cut it out. Because if you don't see Christ in you, Christianity doesn't work. Christianity doesn't work. You'll be taking all kinds of tests. You notice churches today have all kinds of tests. People put out some kind of test, some kind of a study guide. They're always studying, trying to be who they are. First, know who you are. Know that Christ is your life. Be able to say that. And then the Holy Spirit will help you to grow into it. Well, let's stop right there.
Time for another break, and then we'll have our last session of the day. Well, we've got to stop here for this week. Oh, how great is this wonderful series. It's Jesus, just Jesus from Warren Litzman. We hope you're enjoying it and really getting a blessing and a lot out of it. Don't forget to visit our website, Christ-Life.org, Christ-Life.org. Read all about this In Christ message and go to the bookstore and look at some of the wonderful material Warren left behind just for you. Well, we'd like to thank Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does the weekly podcast notes. And the program is produced each and every week by the wonderful Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life.